song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. We are into our third episode about Arn Anderson. This episode, we're going to spend some time looking at how Arn Anderson explains tag teams by looking at a series of his tag team matches. Uh, we wanted to start with one from June 14th of 1986. This is in the World Championship Wrestling. All right, in the ring, Tony. You, you said it. The four horsemen are back. Iron Anderson, he's crowing because only Anderson. Watch him. He's the first one in. So, yeah, this is the Andersons versus Jobbers. Uh, they don't, it doesn't really matter who it is. Uh, they just beat the crap out of them. Uh, I think that's kind of what you notice is, like, it's, it's just them beating the crap out of two guys. They don't really get an entrance. They get mentioned in passing, and they just beat the crap out of them. That's all they do. One of the jobbers had a very fake name or culturally strange sounding. It was like Pablo Colburn or something like that was one of their names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's they're very, very generic, just jobbers of the most jobbery sort. And uh, what the Andersons proceed to do is beat the dog piss out of them. Uh, this is one of the snuggest matches I could ever remember watching because they're not stiff. They're hitting them exactly the right amount to not have it go over the line, but they are exactly at that line. Oh, no, I think in the matches that we watched, especially the ones that invo involved Ole and Arn, we, we definitely saw both the... Uh, his propensity for pretty snug punches, and also though for on the baby faces comeback for for leaning into them and telling them to hit him. Uh, there was definitely a lot of that in the match. We'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, but no, this was definitely a, an incredibly tight match, both in terms of the the wrestling was very tight and the story was very tight, and sort of the the characters' objectives and the way they they carried them out were very tight. Definitely. Yeah, it uh, it sets up the next match. There's not really that much to say other than. It has some of the meanest spots, including the one we talked about uh, earlier. I think it was two episodes ago. Uh, the spot where Oli carries Oli or Arn, it depends on which match. They each do it in this match. They they both do it in this match. They drag the jobber over to his tag team partner and tag in the guy, basically. And the Oli does it out of like a fall away slam position in this match. It's so impressive. He's just holding the guy like he's going to give him like a Scott Hall JBL fall away slam. Brings him over to the corner and just violently spins 90 degrees in a way that, quote unquote, throws this guy's arm out and slaps his partner. It's it's so mean. And just like we told, we used the word bully in our last episode, talking about the kind of heels that the Minnesota Wrecking Crew really were. And this was just like a great old school wrestling bully heels match. Just a great arm spot of him rubbing the dude's face into the rope. Just really just digging in there it's just such a quick job match not like the bill mulkey match we talked about last episode it is them just being bullies it's only the part after arn gets punched in the face by bill mulkey for the entire match between the two of them because they're back they're back uh oh this is right after Oli comes back from having his leg broken and it's just a brutal like display of power, I guess, <laughs> like a Pantera song. It's really <laughs> nasty because it has to be because they want to establish very quickly that like these guys have not lost a step. They even say it like 
Ole looks better than he's looked in a long time, and it's partially because he had just had six months off. But like, it's a really just an aggressive display of two guys just really both taking care of the drive. Like, nothing they do is dangerous, but it just looks really dangerous. It looks like they're really hurting them. There's no showboat. They're showboating, but it's not. Uh, the showboating that like they do with the pin, they actually just beat the shit out of these guys. It's 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 brutal in the way that like the road warriors are, but it feels different. Yeah, there's there's a couple moments in this match where Oli has has the jobbers in the ropes, and he's got them where he's got their arm kind of hammer locked with the rope in it, which is one of his like usual Anderson moves. And Randy Anderson comes over and is counting the DQ count, going one, two, three, four. And Oli breaks at like the FI on five, and 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 Randy Anderson, correctly being a great referee and knowing where the mics are, <laughs> uh, tells him, "Don't let me get to five. And Oli just turns around and growls, "I broke it!" And it's just like the realest, meanest. Like that guy was mad in that moment in a very real, scary way that helped get the beat down over it was perfect i think there were two or three where randy anderson kept like saying like hey guys i'm i'm getting to five here and they kept going no 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 we're, we're breaking on four we we promise it was perfect uh, no yeah Oli is somebody we've brought up a bunch of times Oli is really like he is the like evil like flair is the i don't want to say good part of arn but the like part of arn that's really charming and like charming. that you would want to be friends with yeah and Oli is just the mean, old, mean, bad guy. He's just a mean son of a bitch. Yeah, definitely. Like There was one of the promos we talked about in the first part of the Essential Viewing. I brought it up that it was like Arn had almost this kind of like jive style superstar Billy Graham 70s promo going on. And, and Oli was just like so grounded and tough. You see this match and then you, we watched uh, almost immediately after. Ladies and gentlemen. Starcade 86 in the steel cage for the tag team titles. And what you notice when you watch those two, uh, the two matches back to back is that they did a really good job of explaining on television what you were going to see in the pay-per-view, but not against the team that they were facing, which is the problem that the WWE has now, for instance, is you have people losing to the champions or beating the champions over and over again. So you see what's going to happen on free television for the network special that they want you to go out of your way to watch where like what they did in the NWA at that point was to have those guys work with people that are uh, like, not able to stop them or not able to defend against them being bullies and then actually have them against people who are capable of stopping them. Cause like Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson do a great job of establishing that they are just really tough dudes that even the Andersons, I don't want to say respect outright, but are aware of the fact that they're going to be in for a fight when they face them. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I'm really thankful that we watched this match very shortly after watching that TV job match, because I think that both of them show together, number one, kind of the brilliance of the Andersons as a team. And and number two, kind of the brilliance of, of the way wrestling TV used to really, really work. Because like, 
what they do to Ricky in this match to Ricky Morton is exactly the stuff that they did to the jobbers in the job matches, but he endures it. He gets busted open and he's by the, by the kind of by the climax of the match, like his entire face is just red with blood. Uh, and, and they do the exact same sequence of moves involving like all the, all the hammer locks. And then they do the, uh, Ole coming off the second or the top rope onto his arm as Arn stretches it out. Like they literally do the same sequence of moves that they do to put away most people. And yet like Ricky Morton can somehow endure it. It, it was so perfect. It just, it's a, the, the watching these two matches together just like showed uh, the way that, that, that great heels who were really in control in this era of wrestling really kind of could, could make someone seem special. We talked about how Oli just mean and gruff and really like, he doesn't, again, I, I think there's a difference between snug and stiff. I think he's snug. And in this match that's used against him by the Rock and Roll Express, there's a lot of times when Arn, uh, sorry, Oli goes for something and misses because he's swinging with such like, He's not taking, I guess he's just not taking into, into account the speed of the Rock and Roll Express. And you can see the ways in which Oli would eventually be pulled out as the weak link of the four horsemen. Uh, not because he was actually the weak link, but because he didn't want to wrestle anymore. Um, but Oli really, like, is outclassed by the Rock and Roll Express on some level in a way that it makes sense that they would be able to beat the Andersons despite the fact that the Andersons are a really tough pair of guys who by all accounts should be able to beat them in a match where like their speed and agility advantage disadvantages are mitigated by the fact that there's like surround they're surrounded completely by steel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, when, when Dave Meltzer and Bruce Mitchell and all those times, types talk about uh, the cage really meaning something back in the day, you know, in Crockett, I think this, this match is a great example of it, of, of like you said, the, the cage is actually an integral part of the story that it's kind of limiting certain tactics that both teams use, frankly, because the, the next match we're going to talk about in a little bit, there's, they're kind of showed the kind of outside the ring shenanigans side of kind of heel eighties tag team wrestling. But like in, in this match, it's, it's, they're just contained in the structure and it's a mono a mono or, do a do uh, confrontation where where you know that there's going to be a decisive finish, and I think you're right. It's it's important that the bad guys are thwarted here. You know what I mean? It's not just that they lose because you see in the WWE now a lot of times the heels lose uh, and and they it just kind of washes off them. But in this one, Ole and Arn are really thwarted in a way where it seems like. Not that their time is over, like maybe Oli's to some degree, but in a way that kind of, it's it's a progressive finish that they took the, you know, the, the, the rock and roll who, who kind of were the team that was predicting more what wrestling was going to be like in the coming years. And they like squarely put them over this kind of grounded traditional wrestling that had dominated both Georgia and Crockett for, for 10, 15, 20 years, you know? Yeah, and it's because they're tough. They, they they are tough guys who fought other tough guys and were tougher than them on that day. And like, it's really important that your baby faces and your heels are both. I don't want to say you can't have chicken shit heels, but they can't be wusses. They can't be like people who can't fight. It takes away from the idea that. There's a reason they're there, and it's your managers can be 
chicken shit. Not chicken. Sorry, it's not, that's the right word. Uh, your managers can be the kind of people who deliberately obfuscate contact and confrontation in a way that is like I, I don't know how to frame it other than like not tough. Like, but if you're going to be a performer that's actually going to be in the ring, it, to me, it's important to establish that you're willing to actually try to get the job done, whether or not you succeed or fail when you actually have to. And I think that's what, and you'll see it a lot in the next match we talk about. That's what the baby faces in this match do. They, are tough to the point where it prevents the other team from bullying them into submission in a literal sense. And also in a figurative sense, like they outlast the tough guys by out toughing them while also maintaining some of their integrity as performers that are like high risk, uh, high reward performers. Oh yeah, absolutely. The finish isn't the cleanest thing, but I think the story of the finish was really to get that idea across that, you know, that it's about the, the, the Andersons, I think it's Arn is holding uh, Ricky and he thinks he's about to give him a big slam or whatever, but then uh, Robert gives him a drop kick and, it, and that, you know, knocks knocks uh, Ricky on top of Arn for the finish. So yeah, it literally, you know, it, it is about just finding that last minute, you know, store of resourcefulness, that like last intuitive, uh, you know, action that shows that you guys are, are great wrestlers. And I agree. I mean, I think this match... And the match that we're going to talk about in just a second. We keep saying that. We're excited to talk about this match. Uh, but uh, I think both of these matches really did that. Where, as you say, it wasn't just a good match where there was like a winner and a loser and you can still watch it 30 years later. Uh, it was a lot more than that where it, it really feels like a true contest. Like a really important match in a way that like, WWE evolution felt important, but most WWE pay-per-views don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it doesn't feel it feels like it's a treadmill. And this doesn't feel like a treadmill. It feels like they're climbing some sort of mount like the Rock and Roll Express have finally quote unquote learned how to win. I mean they're world champions. So it's not crazy. Like you know what I'm saying? They're a really talented team, but they finally learned how to win. And I think that's what you learn in this match is they finally not just overcame like the bully, like LeBron James scoring what, like 25 straight points in the fourth quarter of the game against the Pistons where the Pistons kept beating the Cavaliers in the playoffs. It's, it's that style of just like, no, we finally figured out the things we have to do that in the end game of this match, when we've like depleted all of our advantages on both sides, we can come out victorious against this big, mean, tough team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's really putting someone over, which is, I think, what we talked about a lot in parts one and two. And, and like in terms of the way wrestling used to work, like we said in part one, it was like, these heels who were up on the top third of the card were just so crucial to getting across the idea that, that all these guys were super tough, but also like being crucial gatekeepers. Like I said, the contrast between this match and the job match that we watched earlier, that there's like the jobbers got to rung two up the ladder and then Ricky Morton by himself got to rung 12 and with Robert Gibson got up to rung 15 and won the title. You know what I mean? That like, yeah, no, I know exactly what I you mean. mean. It's, the, it's the old school heel, just absolutely making the baby face and showing the crowd how good someone really is not forcing them to get over on their own by just doing the most athletic fast paced possible shit all the time. But that's a whole other debate for a different day. It is them 
beating the boss character. They beat the boss characters by actually having great strategy. Like the strategy is essentially like, we're going to just kill ourselves until we can't kill ourselves anymore. And then eventually, hopefully we'll be out, we will outlast these guys. And you see it because like Robert Gibson for the second, the last third of the match, his leg is shot because the Andersons are working on it for the middle third. And Ricky Morton just gets his ass beat. He's bloody. Like Dave said, it's just, he's just a crimson mess. I believe is what the, the, the announcer calls it. It's Bob Cottle. It was Bob Cottle. Yeah, he, he almost wanted to say Crimson Mask, which would have been Gordon Soley's line, but he uh, he changed it on the fly. Yeah, and it's it's this idea that like, okay, they've made it. They've established. And I think we'll just go on to the next match because we love it so much. It is actually the next Starcade. Uh, you see kind of how the Rock and Roll Express showing that like toughness and this combination of speed and athleticism was going to be the future of the business is why you get team match one fall with a 45 minute time limit for the world's tag team championship introducing first in the corner to my right the challengers from chicago illinois with a combined wrestling weight of 585 pounds accompanied by their manager Paul Ellering, fans, Hawk and Animal, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. And now, the world's tag team champions, two members of the dreaded Four Horsemen. First, from San Antonio, Texas, weighing in at 236 pounds, Tully Blanchard and his team partner from Minnesota weighing in at 250 pounds the man they call the enforcer Arn Anderson they are accompanied by their manager and advisor James J. Dillon at the next arcade at Starcade 87. And uh, to me, this is like my favorite tag team match of all time. Uh, it's just such a perfect, like Arn and Tully tried this new thing. And then they met the guys that like are bigger and tougher and stronger and faster than they are. And they just have to figure, they're having to beat their own like version of a boss and to me, it's like their strategy is perfect because they're just trying to minimize how much they get their ass kicked by these fucking destroyer monsters. And it just, it, there's a balance of them getting their asses kicked and trying not to get their asses kicked without looking like chicken shits is just perfect. It's not that they like look heroic. It's that just being in the ring with the road warriors in Chicago is heroic in and of itself. Yeah, I think they ultimately pull off looking both very tough and very much like chicken shits in this match, which is what makes them like great wrestling heels. Uh, one, one thing that I want to say before I jump too deep into this, uh, just before we kind of put the last match completely in the rearview mirror because it connects them, is one thing that blows my mind if you look at the cards that these matches are on, is that both of these matches followed the Midnight Express in scaffold matches. In 86, it was the Midnight and the Road Warriors. That's the famous match where Cornette exploded his knee. Um, and then in 87, it's the, uh, it's the midnight and the rock and roll on the scaffold. So I, I mean, so you have, 
in in both scenarios, this being the second tag match on the card, already following two iconic tag teams in an incredibly dangerous over-the-top gimmick match. So when you watch these matches, when you watch that cage match and uh, Ricky's bleeding, you know, 20 minutes into the match and the fans are going nuts, it's just so goddamn impressive that they that in both scenarios they had these great matches following another over-the-top tag match. I think a lot of times, once again, when you talk about modern wrestling, the the matches that are supposed to be important late on the card, how often nowadays do they get eclipsed, if not in terms of importance, in terms of like uh, kind of takeaway feel, like just because someone earlier on the card already, you know, did whatever else. So I, I, I think it's a testament to both of these matches uh, that they that they held up following those scaffold matches. Yeah, to quote uh, the guys from OSW Review, damn it, D'Lo. There's a lot of that in uh, modern wrestling. And this, they come right after spectacles because they are in, some, them, in and of themselves, especially, I, I, well, okay, so the cage match is obviously a spectacle. But it's also a pretty standard but super brutal tag team match. I cannot articulate to you fully the level to which the road warriors looked like they they were actually unbeatable and and part of it is and this is something we'll talk about uh in the in the last two matches um for some obvious and less obvious reasons is that how much bigger they look in the smaller ring and without a hard camera like a natural hard camera like the way that these matches are shot is way different than they're used to Oh yeah, those Saturday night's main event matches were like shot from the moon uh, in in comparison, definitely. And I think there is something kind of you you described Oli's work and Arn's work previously as snug. There's something snug to the whole feel of Crockett. I think part of the snugness is just how close the cameras are, so that when someone potatoes the other guy in the side of the head, you say, "Holy shit, that guy just potatoed the other guy in the side of the head." I think that's kind of part of the whole Crockett mystique. But I but I agree the dominance of the Road Warriors and it plays out perfectly. The opening sequence of this match is like a perfect microcosm and to me really when i watched this match the first minute of this match i just thought i was like wow this is the perfect way to start this match a big match between two teams like this because they do the full championship introductions uh and the road warriors get a huge reaction because they're in chicago where they're supposed to be from uh and uh, then when the match starts it's arn and hawk in the ring and arn is just mouthing off to hawk you like can't tell what he's saying he's obviously talking trash Hawk just reaches across and grabs Arn by the throat, and Arn immediately makes this like panicked face, like like you would when someone grabs you by the windpipe, you know. And he knees uh, he knees Hawk in the in the midsection, the lower abdominal area slash upper groin, uh, to get away. Climbs up the turnbuckle like Ric Flair. Hawk prick picks him up and uh, you know presses it over his head and gives him that like Ric Flair bump. And then Arn rolls out of the ring and powders and regroups with JJ Dillon. It's just so perfect that, like, they, they, Arn is overconfident because he's the heel. He's a trash talker. He's a dick because he's a heel. And, you know, Hawk immediately calls his bet with the hand on the throat. Arn can't escape it without hitting Hawk low. Then he's overconfident and, and moves too fast and does stuff that, 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 it, that, that the moment doesn't call for yet and tries to go to the top rope. And again, he's thwarted and he doesn't know what to do except retreat. And, and ask his buddies for help. Like, it's perfect. It's the perfect way to open this match. Yeah, it is a really well... Di- What's crazy is that you watch that match and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know how great of a salesman Hawk could be. Like, wow, that's a really great sell job by Hawk. Oh, Hawk, Hawk 
was incredible in this match across the board, I thought. There's one moment late in the match where uh, uh, Arn goes to put him in the figure four, because that's kind of most of act three is about them trying to get Hawk in the figure four. Uh, but he does the thing where he spins around, and then the guy gives him the kick on the butt to push yeah. him into the corner. But uh, Hawk doesn't kick him in the butt, so Arn's just kind of standing there looking like he's got half a spinning toehold. And then uh, all of a sudden, you can hear Paul Ellering on the outside just go, Fuck, kick him, Hawk! <laughs> And then they, and they play. But other than that, toehold. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I think it was Shivani calling that match. Actually, did try to cover. It might have been Ross because there's the two of them. But uh, they did try to cover. That was Hawk's one little Hawk moment in that match. But no, I couldn't agree. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, just everybody looked amazing this match too. Uh, Animal too. And like, I'm I'm someone who I can I can maybe be a little less impressed with animal than I am with Hawk sometimes, but there's a spot in this match where he's got Tully in a bear hug and he brings Tully over to their corner and Hawk punches Tully and Tully flops and arches his back. But, but animals still got him in the bear hug, which is just this incredible, like if you really know what you're looking at watching pro wrestling, it's this incredible display of, of base strength. Uh, but like he, 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 you know, uh, Tully dips back and waves his arms all theatrically <laughs> and then Animal wrenches him back up into the bear hug and walks back into the middle. It was just, it was just an incredible spot. You just, all four of these guys are so good at what they did. Like there was a part where it was just like Tully bumping for Hawk's offense early in the match before they got Hawk's leg it was so good. And I thought that for all the critique of Hawk selling. I thought that the story of them getting after his leg was so good because he tries to overconfidently press slam Tully mm -hmm. and Arn cuts out his leg. And then the next five minutes of the match is all about Arn and Tully tagging in and out as fast as they can, putting him in the figure four or trying to get the figure four. It's, it's just excellent. Like I, I, this match made me happy. I can't think of yeah. a time recently that I watched a match where I just was happy <laughs> yeah, this is one of the most joyous matches you can ever watch as a wrestling fan. Like, it's a really special match because it's almost like WWE-style wrestlers came and had a WCW-style match. Although, of course, the Road Warriors came up through the NWA. They feel very much, and the AWA, I believe, they, they feel very much like WWE-style like if you were to take like DC characters and put them in a Marvel comic, that's almost what it felt like it's because they're these bigger, they're these big, like larger than life monster people. And they look the part, especially in the smaller ring. Like I mentioned before, it's really incredible. The visual of Hawk and animal, uh, which is why, and we're about to talk about them in a minute or two. Uh, it's so funny watching the brain busters fight demolition because demolition is, is a good tag team, but they are not the road warriors. So it's like, if you could take out of your mind, them trying to be the road warriors and just accept it as like a good tag team. Team, it's it's totally good the matches are very good they're good workers and they're, they're a smart tag team but like the road warriors you get why there's a road warrior pop watching this match they look like they look like the best two wrestlers in the world in and it's not just especially hawk but it's not just tully and arn making him look that way it's really them like and jim ross says it they're like their height of the power their powers in this match it's really like a must see match yeah yeah exactly and and the way ross says it he says uh yeah you, you, you give him credit for being double tough the road warriors have never looked stronger or whatever it is but it's like he's it's it's the ultimate example of putting over both teams, right? That it's like the, 
the Road Warriors are at their very best in this match, and so are Arn and Tully. And another thing, that line of commentary comes in one of many inconspicuous and well-placed kind of rests in that match. Because, like you said, Hawk and Annaline, to be frank, part of them looking good is not having to do too much or too many things in a row. You know what I mean? Like, there's a moment in this match where Hawk is standing in the middle of the ring, just taking, just pivoting, and Arn is st- walking around him in a circle, and they're trading punches. But it's literally just Arn moving with with Hawk almost completely stationary. And there's other t- there's a lot of like regrouping because they have JJ Dillon on the outside, so there's a lot of regrouping and strategizing, and like they just they controlled the pace of the match in that just like 1980s heel way that I just think is just so missing from today's wrestling i can't keep enough praise on this match yeah this is what the uh, the last couple of episodes have been so much fun to do because the matches have been so good this is actually like a match that uh, we talked about last episode like you have these two job matches well basically yeah two job matches sam houston isn't a jobber but he basically jobs out pretty thoroughly to arn anderson and the bill mulkey match which is just a straight jobber match but they're these really incredible versions of like really specific like niche products this is just a good old-fashioned tag team main event match where it's the tough but chicken at the same time chicken shit heels versus the monster baby faces that if they can just get their hands on the guys the slippery heels they can win but there's part of what makes the heels great is that they're so good at getting they're like the inverse of the dukes of hazard they're so good at getting out of situations that you see feel like they can't get out of that they're almost baby faces in the sense that's the journey for them where like the road rears are literally just trying to get to their goal as directly and as forwardly as possible and the Arn Anderson and and Tully Blanchard both understand separately and together the ways in which they can push them off track. It's really incredible because it's two great workers working together and separately to defeat two guys that are like just big bruising monsters. It's really the chemistry between Tully and Arn is different than that between Oli and Arn, but it's like, it feels much more like a modern tag team where like what's cool about the, the Minnesota wrecking crew is there's this old school team that you could like see working now. Like if you were to have the brain busters or the Tully and Arn as the tag team from NWA, like they would work now. Totally. They are so much better than the revival what the revival is trying to do in large part. Cause they basically invented. Yeah. It. Yeah. I, I don't want to Or popularized it in the, uh, in the consciousness, like, in other words, they're doing an Arn impression because Arn was the guy that was the best. It's kind of like dunking. Like, there are there guys that dunked before Julius Irving? Yes, but Julius Irving was so transcendently good at it in the way that the Andersons are and the way that Arn Anderson in particular is. And you see over and over again through all different matches and all different styles that they kind of elevated it to an art form. Yeah, certainly, and I don't want to uh, throw stones at their revival. I like their their act very much. I, I enjoy their matches, uh, but uh, but but no, definitely. I mean, they, they Arn and Tully, I think, are maybe the perfect heel tag team. I, I just for like for the reasons that we've said that they're simultaneously triple tough and just horrible chicken shits, and that's the you've got Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. You know what I mean? And it, it's just the there's just something perfect about it. I think, and they they were a great opponent for for so many 
for so many tag teams. They were even a great opponent for the Midnight Express, who were like the other great heel tag team of their era. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I think that uh, I, 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 I think that they when I, I don't like talking about greatness and all time bests and stuff. I usually reject that. Uh, but I think Arn and Tully are just a case where, like. I thought that Arn and Tully were a great tag team the first time I saw them wrestle when I like didn't know as much about wrestling and my mind has never changed. Like sometimes there are people like when I was a kid, God, when I was in middle school, like I loved too cool. Like I thought too cool were like a great tag team and should have been the champions. And I was like mad that they weren't the champions all the time that they seemed to do well on TV, but on these pay-per-views that I was never seeing, they didn't seem to win the title. Uh, but, uh, but, but, like, Arn and Tully only get better the more you watch them and the more you watch other people who are not them. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the perfect way to put it, is the other people that are not them are so not them. And that's what I meant by the Revival. I love the Revival. I think they're a great tag team. They've had great matches. But there's something so specific. And it's because, and, it, and I think it's it's something that uh, John Cena has talked about a lot Um that guys no longer when they say call the matches in the ring, this is what they mean. They mean like, how do you take the little things of like, how am I going to grab Hawk's foot and tag Tully in at the same time? And it's two guys who've worked together a bunch to try to make that that specific spot work that makes it feel natural every time they do it, even though you watch. And they do it in every match. It's a spot for them where he like hooks the leg and he rolls around and then he reaches out with his his other hand while holding onto the guy's foot and tags in whoever's partner. He does it in the, the every single match basically in the series that we looked at. Like Arn, that's what they mean when they say being able to call it in the ring. It's not that you can't have spots. It's not that you have to sell everything like you got shot. It's that like doing some of those things in different ways and adding and subtracting at different times is what separates like what Arn and Tully are doing and what modern tag team wrestling looks like. Like I, to me, when I was watching the rock and roll express, they reminded me of like the Usos, like they're great tag teams now, but they're limited in what they can do because of the way that the, the sport is structured. The, the show is structured now. And also I think the smaller ring makes a big deal. And I think that's something you see in both the demolition match we watched and the rocker match we watched that like the bigger ring does change the dynamic of a heel tag team, like Tully and Arn, the, and in the WWF, they're known as the brain busters. Yeah. I, I definitely think that like, if you would put that match uh, into, into the smaller ring, the 18 footer, I think that you could have like kind of hidden some of the limitations of, of uh, Bill Eadie, Axe, who certainly had a super successful career as the masked superstar uh, in his slightly younger days before this, but was definitely slowing down. And I thought that it, there were some, there were certain moments where he seemed like he was the wrong distance from the ropes. In fact, on the finish, when Arn cleans him out of the ring, he's definitely the wrong distance from the ropes. And like, it just made it like running that extra half step, like just seemed like it was tiring him out. I felt like the, the demolition match maybe in the in the Crockett ring maybe would have been a little a little tighter. Yeah, and the thing is, and so we have you have the Road Warrior match, which ends on uh, technicality because uh, Arn is thrown over the top rope by Animal uh, in a legit spot, like it is a legit 
version of the dusty finish where like when and 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 tully like railroads the ref who is tommy young from a fat for at a thousand miles per hour from behind and tommy young shoots out between the second and third ropes and bumps to the floor he is one of that match he refs is one of the best matches i've ever seen somebody ref which i know sounds really like specific but he does such a good job of establishing the like risk and reward parts of being a tag team, like tag different tag team strategies in terms of like entering the ring at different times. It's hard to explain without watching, but he just acts like a real referee would in a real fight between two groups of guys, like who aren't necessarily cheating, but are like do it. I mean, they are cheating. The, 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 the brain busters are cheating, but that they're ha- also having an action. It allows it to be an actual match where, Things that happen happen in the match are like untoward or illegal, but it doesn't make him look like a goober. And I think that's a really important part of the ending is that like when he calls Arn, like he calls for the disqualification to have the the brain Arn and Tully win. It doesn't feel like a cheap dusty finish. It feels like when I was watching the match and Animal throws aren't over the top rope i was like that's illegal they're going to lose the match because of that like they do it in a way that it's like you can't do that and you should know that as the baby face and i understand how in the heat of the moment you would do that but like you did screw up and it was clear that that's how they were going to end the match it didn't feel like they just like out of the blue were like oh you guys lost Yeah, when they hit the doomsday device and get the pin though it's like even though you know you're watching a dusty finish 30 years later yeah like you said you see the ref bump you see animal clearly intentionally throw Arn over the top rope and you say uh this is a dusty finish but you still pop for the pin you still pop for them raising the road warriors arms and giving them the belts because it it's just such a goddamn effective match. Yeah, it's it's really great. It, uh, I know I said this last episode. This to me is like the most essential, essential. All these last two episodes, pretty much all of the matches we have, but this one is like really made me. And we, I, I should address something before we go any further on the last two matches, which we're going to go over quick because it's mostly the differences between NWA and WWE. That for me, this match was the best match that we've ever looked at for what it was what it could be and what wrestling should be it's just like this match is so perfect on so many levels for me yeah i love this match like i said before i i really can't remember like feeling happier and enjoying myself more watching a match in in recent history yeah Uh, and and i just watched wrestle kingdom the other week like it's not like i haven't watched any good wrestling recently you know and uh, so the last two matches we had are both from Saturday Night's main event. One happens in July of 1989, July 29th, 1989. And then the next one happens in November, on November 25th, 1989. So you can find them both on the Saturday Night main event page uh, for the network. Uh, this ma- These two matches in particular are, to me, just to articulate the differences between their treatment in the NWA and their treatment in WWF. And I don't think it's necessarily that Arn and Telly are treated very badly. It's that all heels are treated like shit in the WWF, and they were just another pair of heels in the WWF. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think one of the prevailing critiques of, of Vince McMahon right up until the Attitude Era began, uh, and he turned heel, ironically, was that he basically promoted heatless wrestling. I mean, that's what people in other territories thought, you know what I like, that, that he didn't 
give the heels what they needed in order to make the baby faces look really great in the way that we talked about Arnon Oli or Arnon Tully doing earlier, that because the heels couldn't get enough heat and, you know, weren't kept strong enough, ironically, they, they couldn't do as much for the baby faces either. I think that's a, a major and legitimate critique of, of Vince McMahon. I think especially watching, like we said, the, the road warriors, uh, versus Tully and Arn match, and then the Brain Busters versus Demolition. So there's a two out of three falls match. The first fall, Demolition wins clean, if I remember, or not clean, but they are cheating, but face tag team against slimy heel cheating, which is to say they like double team when they're not supposed to and get the win off of a move, not like a foreign object. So they, yeah, they, they, they are what you would say they are character baby faces, meaning that they, they do stuff that isn't really what a baby face would do, but their characters are very over people relate to them. People think they're interesting. Therefore they're. Yeah. And what, uh, so they get that, that clean first, uh, basically clean first win. And then the second fall in that is them kicking too the old them kicking too much ass, but it's really them not getting out of the ring for the five count. But the ref lets it go for like it, it gets to the point where it's egregious enough that you can understand why he disqualifies them, but you don't understand why he waited until like basically the end of like the what would have been the end of the match to disqualify them. Like they literally have somebody pinned and then he's like, oh, actually, you know, we really can't count this. That's a disqualification. And it's like, you just... The- this has literally never happened before. That was my thought on that. Is I was like, what? I have watched a lot of wrestling. Maybe that was some old like 1970s WWF tag team finish or something. But like, yeah, I, when I, I thought that was really bizarre. That was cheap even for a two out of three falls match. And you'll see some horseshit stuff in two out of three falls tag team matches. Yeah, and then the third fall is... Uh, Andre uh, gets involved in the finish and they somebody gets hit with a chair. Bada bing, bada boom. New tag team champions. Like that is how they try to get over the brain busters is by having them win a total bullshit fall. Like a total bullshit fall. And then a kind of super bullshit fall. Like they were helped by a big time heel. So it like makes it slightly better in the way that like Ric Flair helping out the undertaker makes it slightly better that he won in 91 that way. But like, it's still not getting your heels over the way that you should. And the way that like you can do in a road warriors match where the road warriors destroy the, the heels, but the heels are kind of hoping that the road warriors are going to lose in a way like this because they know that they're idiots who can't contain themselves or that they're going to tire themselves out and they're going to just beat them straight out. Yeah, like in this match, it's kind of like, I agree that, that, that it's a soft way for them to really get the titles. And it, it's, it's like, how tough is your gang if everybody gets blessed into your gang, right? Some people got to get jumped into the gang because that shows that you don't fuck around and people have to earn being in the gang. But it really felt like they got kind of blessed in here in a way that I agree really hurt their heat. Even if Tully just goes and gets the chair himself, like he did in the Road Warrior match, I think that's a big difference. But it's like you have, uh, you already have kind of Bobby as the great manager, and then you have Andre the Giant, like one of the most important wrestlers in the territory, uh, like just kind of give them the win. Like I agree that it's good to rub shoulders with Andre the Giant, and it was good to be managed by Bobby Heaton, but uh, Bobby Heaton. <laughs> I agree that it was good to rub shoulders with Andre the Giant and it was good to be managed by Bobby Eaton. But yeah, I I completely agree with your original point that I don't think they could have conducted this any worse in terms of really getting Arn and Tully 
over as tough guys on their own. In part one, I kind of positively uh, compared Arn Anderson to like a tough dad. And he and Tully in the WWF, I think that's the part that they would have had to play, just like when you look at what the other acts look like. But the problem was like the tough part was missing. They were just kind of like dads who yeah. were good at wrestling. And Bobby Eaton kind of had a dad. And Bobby Heenan had kind of a dad quality too. So they, yeah. it just... It's 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 not great. Yeah, it's not great. They're, they're great workers, so like the match totally works. Demolition match works a lot better than the Rockers match, which is just kind of a shit show. And I, I, you don't necessarily need to watch it to understand like how bad the WWF was with the Brainbusters, but it helps. Like. Bobby leaves the Brainbusters in the middle of the match and calls them the worst, dumbest tag team he's ever had. Standing by right now, Jesse Devani with Bobby Heenan. Bobby, I just want to tell you personally, I agree totally with what you did. I cannot believe those two guys. What is wrong with them? You brought them fame. You brought them fortune. You brought and them the World brought... Wrestling Federation Tag Team And champions. they brought me nothing. Disgrace. Well, they didn't disgrace me. They disgraced themselves. They're the worst tag team I've ever been associated with. And the day will come when they're on their hands and knees in some Skid Row soup kitchen calling me back after they bummed a dime from somebody and asking me to take them back. But no, there's no place in the family for somebody that will not listen, will not take instruction, and will not listen to the brain. So stay in that ring. Get your tails kicked from now until the end of the year into next year as far as i'm concerned we're done you're fired you're through you can go beg on the street matter of fact you two are now part of the homeless you know it just tells you listen it's really they like bury them in a way that like makes sense but at the same time it makes you feel like they it just makes you feel like they're just getting shit on on the way out or they're turning them babyface like Either way, it's just like, why are you doing it this way with Bobby Heenan and not let them get their heat necessarily on Bobby Heenan? Because he just kind of like tells them to go fuck themselves and walks away. Like it's, I get where it was, it could be going, but at the same time, it was just like, it felt like such a burial of two of the best tag team performers of that generation. Yeah, it's so shitty. It makes you want to go out and fail a drug test on purpose. <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, I mean, yeah, I agree though. It's so bizarre. This did, I agree. Like I know that the, 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 the famous Tully Blanchard test doesn't happen until survivor series, like a month or so after this six or so weeks after this, but you could definitely tell that this did feel like a, we know you guys aren't sticking around. We know you're going back. We're not just, you know, we're not just going to make you lose. We're going to, we're going to have, the, we're going to have our one of our best talkers explain. It's like if they sent Paul Heyman out today to really dress someone down. You know what I mean? Like we're going to send the most articulate guy out there who has the most heat and we're going to have him explain not just why, like they're going to explain why you're dumb, but because you're a heel, it's also like the best, smartest heel is telling the people, I don't respect this person either. So it's like, what are they worth if they're not a fan favorite and the great heels don't respect them? It definitely felt like a very personal undressing so yeah that was uh our second part of our arn anderson uh look at how arn anderson explains wrestling and in particular how arn anderson explains tag teams uh so pretty much all these are essential viewings except for the last two which are important to understand wrestling but like not worth 
the time other than to like see it like it's a a one-time viewing thing where i think that the most essential the best match we've ever looked at is the tag team match between the road warriors and arn and tully as far as matches we've covered there's obviously better matches but those that match is a really special match you have to go out of your way to watch if you like wrestling yeah I, i couldn't agree more Putting over Shawn Michaels was really the important thing that they did while they were in the WWF. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that match is important for that. And I know they also had a, a previous Saturday Night's main event uh, match with the Rockers uh, before the demolition match where they made them look very good famously. So I think their major contribution to the WWF is just like kind of helping Shawn Michaels along on his ascendancy. But when you look at their accomplishments in Crockett, especially Arn's accomplishments, like we were saying back in part one, it's it's undeniable sort of top tier all time stuff. And and I, it's a shame that that didn't shine through in WWF, but they also went from like a territory where they were allowed to carry around a lot of heat and break people's arms and legs and stuff to, to like I said, a pretty kind of like neutered, let's say, environment. So it, it, it's it's hard to hold them against them that some of that WWF stuff doesn't feel as special. But like you said, the Crockett era stuff, I just can't recommend it more highly yeah and it's both uh, Oli and tully uh, i'm still of the idea that i like the Oli and arn pairing more but only because i like watching jobbers get their ass kicked so much and that's another match you should check out just for fun it is just a good old fashioned ass kicking by two very mean men like uh yeah yeah, just generally those those six oh five those uh those old world championship wrestling shows. Uh, I would say that two thirds to three quarters of them are highly worth your time. And even the ones that aren't as good, there's there's definitely stuff to uh, enjoy about them as well. I it just if you're if you're looking to entertain yourself on the network, I would definitely check that stuff out. Yeah, so normally we this is the part where I ask you a question, right, Dave? Right. But this episode, we actually have a guest. Uh, well, I have a guest. Uh, you were doing other things like work for money. Uh, I was talking to at the Magnum CK, as he is known on Twitter, but uh, Chris Parsons, or CK Parsons, uh, who was wrestling for AIW, uh, now works with them uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I had him on to talk about uh, his Arn fandom, which we both follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's a pretty good follow. He was, like I said, an AIW, but he had to retire because of a back injury. And uh, two things about uh, you should know about CK. Uh, really great spine buster. And uh, two, he had a really great retirement speech, and it reminded us of uh, the Arn Anderson I, at least it reminded me of the Arn Anderson retirement speech that he gave uh, before he asked Kurt Henning to join the Horsemen before Kurt Henning turns on the Horsemen and joins the NWO because fuck you, that's why. Um, but yeah, so we had CK on. Um, yeah, but before I did, uh, we did that, we did want to do our normal plug. So uh, Dave, did you have anything you wanted to plug this week? Oh, not especially anything in particular. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DaveWritesJunk. A uh, lot of good content uh, involving my input has been flowing out of the wrestling estate recently. A lot of good roundtables on some kind of wrap-up uh, 2018, predictions for 2019. Uh, we've got a list of top 100 wrestlers that I contributed uh, pretty heavily to that should be coming out soon that I'm excited for, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Just follow me on Twitter, and I will retweet the links uh, ad nauseum. 
Also, as always, uh, you too can be a hero of this podcast, a sexy wizard, if you will, uh, by journeying over to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. You don't have to be quite the hero that Henry was, uh, who got us started on this whole Arn Anderson journey, uh, but you can sign up at, you know, just the one or $2 monthly level just to support the show, help us cover overhead. You'll get a shout out and you'll get some cool stuff like the end notes and so on and so forth. So if you've really been enjoying this Arn Anderson uh, talk, I feel like a good number of people have probably jumped on the train over the last three episodes. Uh, if you've been digging it, head over to uh, Patreon and consider becoming a patron. Yeah, and you mentioned the Wrestling Estate. I believe uh, the Magnum CK was one of the top 50 Twitter accounts. As nominated by me. As nominated by you. Um, so yeah, so uh, thanks again to, to CK for uh, joining us. You are going to hear Arn's retirement speech, and then you will hear me and CK talking, and then you will hear presumably some sort of funny dialogue from one of the matches that we covered in this episode. And then you will hear the new theme song for the podcast beyond, which we will be making some announcements in the coming uh uh, in next week's episode about. Uh, so look forward to all that uh, and we'll see you next week. Liver spot, age spot, dog spot. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's good. You can. It's a pleasure to hold the microphone, Mr. Anderson, up for you on this occasion. Well, Gene, all I can tell you to get a response like this means what I got to say tonight mean that much more. You see, I'm a realist. And everybody knows I've got average size and speed and average ability, but I've parlayed that into what I would call a very successful career. And I did that on sheer will alone. But another reality is, four months ago, they took four vertebrae out of my neck. Consequently, I'm left with a hand, my left hand, too weak to hold a glass, too weak to button a button. But I thought in my mind, I knew in my mind I could overcome that too, through sheer will. And I was doing just like that. I think I've come back a long way. But the other day I had something happen in the gym that was like a cold slap in the face of reality. A guy about your size, Gene, came up and he slapped me on the back and he said, Double A, where you been? We hadn't seen you on TV. And just that slap sent a jolt through me and I dropped the water I was drinking and just for a second, my system shut down and it became crystal clear as I watched the few little drops of water draining out of that bottle, the symbolism that was involved. It was like someone had turned an hourglass over and the sand was running out on the career of Arn Anderson. Now the fact of the matter is, not only do I put myself in a suicide situation by trying to wrestle again, I endanger these two men's careers and I respect them too much for that. And other than be anything than the enforcer, in my best friend's eyes, I'd rather walk away. And for all you people out there that have ever bought a ticket to see Arn Anderson wrestle, whether you love me or you hated me, and when that bell rang, you got all I had that night. Whether I won, whether I lost, I gave you everything I had. And you knew that. And when you did this to me, that was your acknowledgement. Well, the fact is, I got nothing left to give. And I want you to remember me as I was, not as I am. 
But being the man that I am, my last act, formerly as a horseman, I got one last challenge. And that's to you, Kurt Henning. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not for a fight. You got something special. I've seen you in this ring. Your skills, your maturity, your commitment to excellence makes you something special. And what my challenge is to you, Kurt, is stand beside my best friend, Ric Flair, and lead these two men back to the glory and the prominence that the four horsemen once had. And I'm going to tell you what your prize is. It's not a spot with the horsemen because this is worth a lot more than that to me. I'm gonna give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot, not a spot. I'll give you my spot. Wow, Kurt Hennig. You know, I know every wrestler that's ever been around or involved in this business we call wrestling who would pass up the honor to not only be a horseman, but to come out and take Arn Anderson's spot as the enforcer of the Four Horsemen, I have only one thing to say. It would be a privilege. My name is Magnum CK, former professional wrestler, but don't you call me former nothing, little man. I'm still involved in pro wrestling. I'm an actor, a writer, a director of all things theater, an award-winning filmmaker, a podcaster, everything under the sun. At the Magnum CK on Twitter. And if you want to catch me sooner than later, you can head to AIW if you're anywhere within driving distance in Akron, Ohio on February 23rd as we hail to the King, baby, for King Harley Race. But more importantly than all that, I am indeed an Arn Anderson fan. <laughs> that's real. Yeah, that's a shoot, brother. <laughs> Absolutely, that's a shoot. You couldn't see it, but I did the little thumb across the neck thing as I was, as I was ending it there. <laughs> Uh, podcasting, of course, is a visual medium, so that was good that you did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the, the right people always feel it. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, you have one of my favorite pieces of wrestling like paraphernalia, uh, which is the St. Arn Candle. <laughs> that actually, so I mentioned that I'm, I'm a filmmaker, and we made a documentary a couple of years ago about wrestling and wrestling fans called Marking Out, which incidentally we're in the middle of making a sequel to. Um, and it's on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out called Marking Out. But my film, my, my, my best friend and filmmaking partner, Mike Rhodes, bought that for me. Um, I feel like it was a Christmas present. Like we're always getting each other the weirdest presents. Like it's trying, it's like almost our attempt to out weird each other. So most recently for Christmas, he got me a Buddha statue that is, has the head of Beetlejuice from Howard Stern, uh, and also WCW fame, we should say. Um, and, and I sent him a t-shirt with the timing is kind of sad. Uh, of Mean Gene Okerlund in the part of the Ric Flair promo where he says, put that cigarette out. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that St. Arn candle is because Mike and I, we both literally have 
um, satin jackets with our initials on the on the chest and on the back it says the enforcer because we went to a convention one time with a preview of marking out when we were still working on the first movie and we both we thought it was nobody thought it was funny but us but we thought it was funny if we both had jackets that said the enforcer <laughs> like there were two the enforcers <laughs> <laughs> and there was no other person that was like the person that was they were protecting no, no, kind we of thing. Both, like there was no Wayne we Red Street, the one and only enforcer. <laughs> uh, so um, you also have a great spine buster. Uh, so I, I I wouldn't quite put it at the double A level, but it's a, it's like a hard A and a half of a spine buster. Well, it's, I'll, I'll say it this way because, and I don't, I don't always brag about myself, but it took a lot of time to perfect that. So for years and years, you know, I kind of had two wrestling careers. I had a five year career. Uh, when I was at, when I turned 18, I wrestled for about five years and then I came back and had about three year run. That was my was my most successful, uh, before, you know, I, my, my back injury and everything that I found out about my back. But, um, <clears throat> Uh, I used to have a spine buster that I did more like D'Lo Brown, you know, when I was younger. And then I came back to wrestling and I was like, man, I, I want to, you know, I love double A. I love the spine buster. How can I, you know, so many people use the spine buster, but I knew that if I could just get it right, it would mean something. And I put it in the right spot in every match. It made us a, a surprise every time. And then I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And I thought, let me look who's the, has the best spine buster. Of course it's Arn Anderson. So I just w looked at how he did it. And then it's like a light bulb went off and every spine buster I did after that was perfect. Uh, is there a secret that technique? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a deal where I just watched how Arn his movement and he's very snappy and he doesn't really bend. He doesn't bend at the knee. His knees are kind of are, are, are soft. You know, he's not straight legged, but he bends down at the waist and pops straight up. And the trick is to pivot on that one foot that stays planted. And if you can get that snap pivot right and you can get your opponent up and they, and they go split legged and you can get them around flat enough and then you pop back up after they hit, it looks like you just murdered somebody. Yeah, it's awesome. You have a really great one. Um, so did you have a... Did you have a particular Arn, An Arn Anderson match you wanted to talk about or that inspired you? Man, here's the thing about Arn, and he said this about himself. Uh, you know, he might he he has a quote that goes something along the lines of, you know, I don't know that anyone would ever say that I had the best match in history, but I want to go down as someone who never had a bad one. And I can tell you, I don't know that I've ever seen a bad Arn Anderson match. And I've even seen him. I think I, I watched him wrestle the Renegade one time, and I think it was the Renegade's best match. Aside from Renegade versus Paul Orndorff from Bash at the Beach 95, where Renegade comes out as a good guy, Paul Orndorff comes out as a bad guy, but the crowd hates Renegade so much that Paul Orndorff just starts paying pandering to the crowd and becomes a good guy. <laughs> but I digress. Arnie Anderson, one of my favorites, is actually from the WWF. Uh, the Heart Foundation versus the Brain Busters from SummerSlam 89 is a tag team masterpiece. Other than that, anything that Arn did in WCW from like 91 up until like 94 it's just pure gold. It's it's pure gold. I mean, it's stuff obviously with Tully in, in the eighties and NWA. I mean, that goes without saying because there's I swear there's a there's a cage match and I think it's Arn and Ole against the Midnight or the Rock and Roll Express uh, in the mid eighties. 
it's just incredible. I think I've watched it a hundred times. But um, if I had to pick out one off the top of my head, that SummerSlam '89 tag match is brilliant. Yeah, um, I'm actually uh, breaking down a reel of matches. So we do essential viewings, and the first one we did uh, his first match as Jimmy Verderoso. <laughs> we did his first match in uh, the match where he breaks Lee Ramsey's arm, <laughs> and Manny Fernandez comes out, and they start the feud the Manny Fernandez match, and then two random, basically, job match. Uh, he's facing two – well, one job guy. He's facing Bill Mulkey, and um, he's facing uh, Sam Houston. We broke down those two. Uh, but this week, we are – at uh, this episode that this will uh, show up in, we are actually breaking down the exact match you're talking about, which is, I think, Starcade 86, the Night of the Skywalkers. Yeah. It's uh, – yeah, it's the Rock and Roll Express versus Ole and Arn. And then I think the next year is Tully and Arn versus the Road Warriors, which is another match we'll be breaking down. <laughs> uh, That's a tough night at the yeah. office. <laughs> Boys chopping meat. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, the thing about Arn is, and, and I took from him in certain, in certain senses because I tried to figure out what it was I loved about Arn. And he was brilliant for a myriad of ways not the least of which is because he would do the most ridiculous cartoony things but also be the most credible and believable person out there at the same time and so i really really tried to replicate that and if you watch arn to coin a buzzword he was always all in i mean every segment every match he gave it absolute dedication and from an acting standpoint i really respect that because he was never going uh 50 ever 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 yeah no that's i watched a bunch of, i watched week after week of i basically went through 85 and 86 and of uh, cut to each of his promos and his, I would literally like, you know, how they have the markers for time on the WWE network. I would skip that ahead to the end of each match and then scroll a little bit ahead to see if it was an Arn promo, watch the promo and then whatever match he had, which is easy to find because it's on the thing. But every single promo, every single match, you're just like, oh, he's doing like a great job yeah. every single time he's in front of a camera. Every time he's in front of a crowd, he's just the best like he's really day-to-day -day the best wrestler i've probably ever seen well it's literally because he committed i mean obviously he perfected his craft in every sense but he just threw himself in it 100 percent. and everything he does even if it's that aloha spot you know where uh, yeah. the, the dude goes for a sunset flip and he's trying to reach for the ropes which i've done a couple times toward the end of my career uh, as an ode to arn um even that he's so committed to it that's an old acting thing. You can do you can do anything. You can do the most outrageous thing, but if you believe it and you commit, everyone else will too. And that's that's the key to success for Arn Anderson. Are you an OSW review fan? Um, I have heard some of their earlier stuff. It's honestly when I lived in Chicago, I, I listened to a lot more of that type of stuff uh, because I was on the train so often riding riding. Mm, yeah. But um, I heard a couple some of the earlier things, and I definitely remember them talking about the Aloha Arn. <laughs> yeah, I know that's where I uh, that's where I tagged it. Um, so I, I just want to talk to you about one last thing. So you've mentioned a couple times that you had to you had two careers, and this last one was uh, cut short uh, because of an injury you discovered in your back. Um, I, I, obviously, it's a little different situation, but uh, uh, we talked about in this episode uh, the Arn retirement speech. Yeah. Uh, as someone who actually gave a retirement speech because of an injury that gave you agency in the sense that you could decide, you weren't uh, 
physically incapacitated to the point where you couldn't move and were unable to live a normal life but you so you had some agency but you still didn't have a choice per se right in the sense that you would want to keep going if given your druthers so like as someone who went through that what goes through your head when you're going to be addressing the audience uh and uh how do you find closure in the work you did and the work that you didn't get a chance to do? Well, first and foremost, it was easily the most bittersweet moment of my entire life and probably the most bittersweet moment I'll ever have because you're right. It was like, well, I have to do this. I really don't want to, but oh my God, look at this outpouring of love and respect and support that most people in their lives will never, will never feel that. And, and I don't, I'm not saying that in a braggadocious way. I just mean it's that special. Um, as far as being, uh, letting it go, I don't know that it's something I'll ever feel like, oh my gosh, yeah, never a twinge of, 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 uh, I wouldn't say regret, but just, I, I, it happens all the time where I'm still in wrestler mode. I'll see something or, or hear something that's like, oh, that'd be good for a promo or, oh man, I should try that. Or, ah, I'll see a Terry Funk, like I'll see Terry Funk get punched by road warrior Hawk and then slide down to bleachers. And I'm like, oh man, I want to do that. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. So I'm thankful in the sense that I was able, my last night, I actually had two matches. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I got to go out in a way that I respect and that I think a lot of other people respected. And I also shined up a lot of people on my way without devaluing myself, which there you go, Arn Anderson, same deal. Um, but I can tell you why I'm proud instead of regretful, because all I ever wanted to do was feel like I was good at pro wrestling. And if there was ever a night that made me feel like that mission was accomplished, it was my last night for sure. I mean, I definitely felt it in the year leading up to that for sure, because I was making some great progress and feeling a lot of respect and feeling just a lot of momentum um, and just feeling very satisfied with what I was doing. But you know, when I set out to be a pro wrestler, I never said I wanted to be the WWE champion or headline WrestleMania. I always thought, I just want to feel like I'm good at this and I want the respect of my peers. And I actively sought that respect. I sought that out and I got it. And I still have it. I mean, listen, I have an open door for every place I've ever worked for has said, anything you want to do, please come here and we will pay you to do it. <laughs> so it's pretty good deal. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm leading a promo seminar upcoming for AIW and I'm helping them with some of their new talent stuff and I'm producing some of their videos and I can basically do what I want, you know, in the sense that I could be as busy or as not busy as I want. So in, in my mind, that whole evening was mission accomplished. And now how I went into that night, which is going to be heavily, do, heavily documented. It's, it was heavily documented with uh, our film crew for our, our, our marking out sequel coming up later this year, um, which was just pure coincidence, which is just crazy how these things work. Because we, we, the movie we're ending up making is not the movie we set out to, <laughs> to make. We were making a totally different movie, and then all this stuff happened. But... Um, I realized about 20 minutes before it was time for my match, which was then going to be followed by my, my final speech, which, you know, AIW said as much time as you need or whatever you want to do, which was amazing. But I realized, I said to my friend, Mike, you know, my filmmaking partner, I said, I just realized I haven't thought about what I'm going to say. And he was like, holy, well, dude, you better start thinking about it. And then I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to give it a thought. I'm going to go out there and speak from the heart. And I think that that went, went well. It was an 18-minute speech or so that ended with a nice song, an ode to Andy Kaufman. But um, 
I, I definitely left some things out that I think I would add in if I could. But in my mind, anything that's from your heart is perfect. So uh, I think it went perfectly. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you got to have a, a dis- like be able to enjoy that last night. Like you said, it was bittersweet, but it, it's good to see that you're still involved in the business because I, I started following you on Twitter because I enjoyed your work. I think I actually literally saw you do a double A spine buster. Uh, <laughs> so like, I, that's a little reason. So uh, thank you so much for uh coming on with us um this was great uh we should definitely we'll definitely have you on again when the uh the documentary comes closer absolutely and one last thing i want to say is because being a horseman isn't something that you put on in the morning and take off at night (laughs) it's been your pleasure (laughs) (laughs) thanks buddy after last week i can't believe it you know you were a victim last week this week you're a perpetrator intense Pain is a wonderful thing, Gene Okerlund. Your life flashes before your eyes. Things that are the most important to you become crystal clear. Look at this. You start to begin to learn the meaning of life. Last week when they stuffed me in that ambulance and I looked across and I saw Flair, Sting, Woman, Bagwell, and myself I realized that we were people brought together, not by philosophy, but by necessity. And I started to think, New World Order, New World Order, where have I heard that? And I remembered in the good book it says, when the New World Order is put into place, it signals the beginning of the end of time. Well, WCW is our world. It's where we live and breathe. And if you want to destroy it, Hogan and the Outsiders, you've already made a mistake that jumps off the page. You're going to take a baseball bat to a horseman, finish the job, because there's one rule of gang fighting. See, we are the original gang, and we're the most vicious in all of professional wrestling history. They send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the... The poor side despicable, oppressive, misinformed. Must be high for you to fight your tongue secure.